Welcome to Market Matters, our markets podcast on Making Sense, the hub for J.P. Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In this episode of Market Matters, we'll hear from the market data and positioning intelligence teams within our data assets and alpha group. They'll be talking about key macro, micro, and political themes in the context of our high-frequency trading data and proprietary signals from J.P. Morgan's markets business. Hi, I'm Eloise Goulder, head of the Data Assets and Alpha Group here at J.P. Morgan. Today, I'm joined by Krupa Patel, head of our international market intelligence team. Krupa has a wealth of experience in markets and her team is responsible for providing high-frequency, quantumental content on European and Asian markets. Joining Krupa today is Junho Jung, who also works in the international market intelligence team with a particular focus on Asian markets within the team and who has a background in Asian market strategy and sector research. Given how much there has been going on in Asia recently from both a macro and a geopolitical perspective, I'm looking forward to asking both Krupa and Junho how they see the risk reward for the region over the coming months. So Krupa, let's start with you. Thank you so much as ever for being with me today. I know for a few months now, you've been saying that Asia is one of the few remaining bright spots in the global economy. But the region has underperformed US markets amid the rally over the last six weeks or so. And of course, there have been geopolitical tensions. So would you say Asia still remains a bright spot? Thanks, Eloise. That's a great question. So yes, as you point out, for a few months now, in our international market intelligence pieces, we have indeed been saying that with inflation and growth-related headwinds growing in Europe and the US, Asia, with its reopening economies, accommodative central banks, particularly in China and Japan, is a bright spot in the global economy. Now, this better macro outlook relative to many DM markets is what has helped MSCI Asia-Pacific outperform MSCI world by 10% from its trough in mid-April to the recent peak in mid-June. Since then, however, we have seen this trade weaken, and MCI Asia-Pacific has actually underperformed its DM peers by 7%. So what has driven this reversal in the region's performance trends over the last month and a half? Four factors, I'd say. Firstly, renewed growth concerns in China due to a mortgage crisis over many borrowers refusing to pay their mortgages on unfinished housing projects. That coinciding with the re-emergence of COVID infections, which has prompted renewed tightening measures across many parts of China. Unsurprisingly, all of this has started to weigh on the region's incoming macro data in recent weeks, which has been notably weaker. Two, growing speculation of a potential yield curve adjustment by the Bank of Japan post former PM Abe's tragic assassination, which has also led to the yen appreciating versus the dollar by 3% over the last two weeks. Three, an escalation of geopolitical tensions between U.S. and China over Taiwan, over U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taipei, which has led to heightened concerns over potential sanctions and military drills from China. And finally, from a more global perspective, a rally, perhaps a bear market rally, is finally materializing in the S&P 500, which has driven investor interest away from Asia and towards the U.S. over the last month or so. So going back to your original question, is Asia still a bright spot in the global economy? I think the answer is not anymore, albeit there are still some interesting opportunities in the region that are worth a look here. 
Okay, thank you very much, Krupa. That's really interesting. So can we dig a bit deeper into that last point you made there about there still being some interesting opportunities within Asia? What are your highest conviction ideas within the region now? Thanks, Alice. So given the renewed growth and now geopolitical concerns in China, and in light of the recent hedge fund selling we've seen in the region through July after strong buying in May and June based on our positioning intelligence team's data, I think for now it makes sense to rotate out of China and into markets where there is comparatively more macro support right now. Now, to be clear, while I do think that the tactical risk reward for China doesn't look as attractive today as it did a couple of months ago, from a more medium to long-term perspective, in line with our strategists Marko Kalanovic and Mislav Matejka's views, I still see the Chinese market and economy holding up relatively better than the DM economies, where recessions are increasingly likely to arrive in the next 6 to 12 months. So going back to the markets, which investors could think about rotating into as the China reopening trade continues to run out of steam, firstly, I'd say Japan. Now, the topics has continued to outperform global equities since we lasted this podcast around six weeks ago, but the former PM Abe's tragic assassination in early July has prompted some fears over the end of Abenomics and a potential end to the Bank of Japan's super easy monetary policy. While the Bank of Japan did calm those fears somewhat by leaving its policy unchanged on 21st July, the yen has continued to strengthen, reflecting growing anticipation of a potential tightening in monetary policy, including a likely yield curve adjustment further down the road. Now, our strategists here at JP Morgan believe that even in the scenario that a yield curve adjustment becomes the base case for markets, it would not be a reason to give up on Japanese equities. During the last two instances when yield curve control was adjusted, i.e. in July 2018 and in March 2021, the topics actually rallied, both on an absolute basis and on a relative basis. So if anything, the recent concerns around a change in the Bank of Japan's policy stance is a reason to load up on Japanese equities further. This is a region which is increasingly gaining traction with global investors, and this is something we're seeing even on our positioning intelligence team's data. And that's suggesting that the region is being bought continuously in the last few weeks. So my view here remains that with a better growth trajectory to many DM economies, more definitive reopening potential than China, and game-changing inflation, which could pull the Japanese economy out of deflation for the first time in decades, all of these are reasons for global investors, and not just Asian ones, to continue adding exposure to Japan. The second market that we've been quite constructive on, in line with our Asian strategists, is Korea. My colleague Junho on the podcast can talk more about this, but from my side, the fact that we're seeing a strong rally in the growth versus value factor on the back of falling bond deals, I think means that having a tech bias in portfolios makes sense here. One of the best ways to do this in Asia at a headline level, we think, is via the KOSPI, 30% of which is the tech sector. Thank you, Krupa. I know you spoke about Japan at length on our last podcast together, so it's great to hear about Korea as another interesting opportunity at this stage. So Junho, can I turn to you? You specialize on Asian markets within our international market intelligence team. So why would you say the Korean markets and the KOSPI stand out to you so much right now? Thank you very much for the question. Now, KOSPI was one of the worst performing indices globally in first half 2022. 
um, negative 12% against MSCI world, with number one, sharp depreciation of the Korean one, which triggered large foreign investment outflow, and number two, all global headwinds like inflation and supply chain disruptions exacerbated in Korea due to its high exposure to both tech and exports. However, we think Korea could actually be posed for a tactical rebound with a recent shift from value to growth, a view that both our equity research house and we have been pushing. Korea has over 30% exposure to tech and will likely benefit from such flow. Such seems to be similar on a flow perspective. Our recent data from our positioning intelligence team shows that while positioning in Korea and tech was very light throughout first half, it has been slowly rebounding. On a fundamental perspective, we see four signals that Korea could be ready for a rebound. Number one, Korean won now looks technically oversold, which is supported both by recent currency flow along with our FX equity strategy team's modeling. Number two, Korea finished all of its elections in first half with a market-friendly party winning the majority. Therefore, Korea has higher political visibility and should see some tailwind like tax cuts, incentives, and friendlier policies for equity investments. Number three, on a relative basis, Korea's PE valuation sits at one standard deviation below the 10-year average against the MSCI world, and we note that MSCI Korea has rarely dipped below 9, even during key recessionary periods. Furthermore, during second quarter, earnings were quite supportive, with majority of key companies posting beats. Number four, higher nuclear generation and centralized energy system allows Korea to ease concerns on a potential energy procurement crisis that many of its global peers are worrying about. In other words, production decrease from energy rationing is not a big concern here. On a basket level, we suggest investors look at Korean tech names, especially memory and semis, along with Korean shipbuilders, due to its strong market leadership in the shipbuilding sector, especially in LNG carriers. That's fascinating. Thank you, Junho. Now, before we wrap up, I'd like to turn back to Krupa for an update on European markets. So, Krupa, I know you were fairly cautious on European markets last time we recorded a podcast together six weeks ago, arguing, to quote you, that the risk-reward for European equities may remain challenged. Since then, it seems to me that European markets have faced further headwinds, with the ECB starting its tightening cycle last month in the face of weak macro growth, political headwinds including in Italy, and of course, gas shutdown risks continuing to weigh on the region. So could you touch on how you're thinking about the risk reward for European equities at this stage and whether your views have changed over the last six weeks? Sure. So on Europe, as you were saying just now, there is a pretty problematic cocktail of macro and political headwinds facing the region right now. On the macro side, we've recently had our economists here at JP Morgan cut their GDP growth forecast due to still sharply rising inflation and continued gas risks. And they are now expecting a recession to arrive in the euro area by the end of this year. Now, these dismal growth forecasts are assuming that gas doesn't get cut off by Russia. But in 
in the adverse scenario it is, needless to say, it would send the euro area, particularly Germany, straight into a recession and lead to a 4 to 5% hit to euro area GDP on our economist's forecast. The other headwind for growth is still rising inflationary pressures. Now, we've had the ECB beginning liftoff with a larger than expected 50 bips rate hike last month, and they are expecting it to do another 50 bips in September. But after this, our economists are expecting the ECB to pause, a policy path which may be necessary given the macro backdrop, but which could potentially lead to inflation staying elevated for a while. And finally, in addition to these macro problems, we now also have a new political crisis in Italy as the country prepares for snap elections post Draghi's unexpected departure. While Italy elects a new government and gets its new policies in place, the future of the anti-fragmentation tool may be a bit up in the air, and that could keep investors on the edge about fragmentation risks as well. So all in all, Europe's macro and political outlook has unfortunately got worse since we last recorded our podcast together six weeks ago. And hence, despite the region looking historically cheap relative to its global counterparts, investor interest in European equities is still very low, something we see on our positioning intelligence team's data as well, which has been indicative of the region seeing consistent selling for the last three months or so. As a house, JP Morgan currently has a preference for growth versus value, and that preference at a regional level would also suggest staying away from European equities. Thank you very much, Krupa. Well, I don't want to close on a low note. So to summarise the bright spots you've identified, both Japan and Korea look interesting to you at this stage. Japan benefiting from a better growth trajectory than many DM economies, more definitive reopening potential than China, and potentially game-changing inflation, which could pull the economy out of the decades-long deflationary cycle. And It's worth noting we've seen global hedge funds add exposure to the Japanese region recently. And then Korea benefiting from lower bond yields and a potential catch-up in the growth factor and tech relative to value, with the Korean Kospi index 30% exposed to tech. It's worth also noting our country strategists in research are overweight both regions. So thank you once again, Krupa and Junho, for sharing your views with us today. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this bi-weekly podcast. If you'd like to explore our team content further or indeed get in touch, then please take a look at our website at jpmorgan.com slash market data intelligence. There you can always send us a message via the contact us form. And with that, we'll close. Thank you. If you're enjoying this conversation, you can subscribe as well as our other podcasts to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Follow JP Morgan's Making Sense on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of JP Morgan Chase & Co. and its affiliates. Together, JP Morgan. They are not the product of J.P. Morgan's research department and do not constitute a recommendation, advice, or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. This podcast is intended for institutional and professional investors only and is not intended for retail investor use. It is provided for information purposes only. Reference products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. 
J.P. Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures forward slash sales and trading disclaimer.